to build, what to build. Oh, come on, Lucy. Wow, you're a builder. You're a maker. You're a... <gasps> I got it! Tool call. Hammer. Hammer. Wrench. Wrench. Drill. Drill. Great job, Kapow. Great job, Kapow. Oh, no, wait, that's me. Great job, Lucy Wow. Oh, brother. Now all we have to do is turn this thing on. Let the show begin. Oh, hi there. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Pflugerville. You might know me as Lucy Wow's sidekick, or you might know me as the inventor of the Pygmy Penny, the only penny with a picture of me, Kapow, right on it. <laughs> but you know, while I may be the first mechanical pygmy goat to be on money, I'm not the first inventor. Today's inventor is on the $100 bill. That's right, today's podcast is all about the Benjamin. Benjamin Franklin, that is. Of course, you may know Benjamin Franklin as one of America's founding fathers and a signer of the Declaration of Independence. But he was an inventor too. And today, that's the part of his life that we'll be looking at. Ben was born in 1706 in the city of Boston. He was the 15th of 17 children. Oh, can you imagine what dinner must have been like with 16 brothers and sisters all fighting over the same flip-flop pizza? Oh, my goatness! Now, Ben only went to school for two years, but just because Ben stopped going to school didn't mean he stopped learning. He spent his childhood studying the world around him until one day his studies took a turn towards invention. You see, Ben loved to swim, but no matter how hard he practiced, he couldn't beat the speedy frogs of St. Charles River. Ben studied the frogs and saw that their speed came from their webbed fingers and toes, which worked like paddles in the water. Unfortunately, Ben wasn't able to grow webs between his fingers and toes. So instead, he invented wooden paddles that he could attach to them. And just like that, at the age of 11, Ben had invented swim flippers. From that moment on, no matter where he was or what he was doing, Ben was inventing. As a young man, Ben moved to Philadelphia to work as a journalist and soon found himself famous for his intelligence and humor. But fame doesn't keep you warm. So during the winter, Ben had to do all of his writing next to the fireplace. The problem with the fireplace of that time was that they consumed a lot of wood, produced a lot of smoke, and made sparks that could set fire to the wooden houses of the time. Ben started experimenting, and soon he had created a stove made of cast iron that moved the hot air within the house and through a special tube that provided the fireplace with clean outside air. He called it the Franklin Oven. And thanks to it, everyone could now keep their house warm with less wood, no smoke, and fewer sparks. Wow! As Ben got older, he became good at a lot of things. But unfortunately, seeing wasn't one of them. That's right, Ben had bad eyesight. He had to wear reading glasses to see up close and distance glasses to see far away. This meant Ben had to carry around two pairs of glasses everywhere he went. Tired of this, 
One night, Ben cut both pairs of glasses in half and combined them. Now he had one pair. The top half was for distance and the bottom half for reading. Ben had invented bifocal glasses, which we still use today. Thanks to Ben, people were now warmer, swimming faster, and seeing better. But none of that mattered when lightning came to town. You see, in the 1700s, lightning was a big problem. A storm would arrive, lightning would hit a house, and the next thing you know, a whole city would be on fire. The thing was, no one could stop the lightning because no one really knew what lightning was. But Ben had a theory. He believed that lightning was made of electricity. Since electricity is attracted to metal, like a goat is attracted to a tin can, Ben thought that if he built a tall iron rod, the lightning would hit it instead of houses. He called his idea a lightning rod. Ooh. Ben got to work and attached his first lightning rod to the tallest building in town. But when the next storm arrived, it stopped outside city limits. <laughs> so much for his experiment. But Ben didn't want to wait for another storm. So he came up with a new plan. He made a kite and attached an iron wire to it to act as a mini lightning rod. To the bottom of the kite, he attached a hemp string. And to that, he attached a silk string. You see, electricity loves water. So Ben figured that the hemp, wet with the rain, would conduct an electrical charge and allow the electricity to run through it, while the silk string, if kept dry, wouldn't. Ben then tied a metal key to the hemp string and with his son's help, went kite flying in the rain. Sure enough, lightning struck, went down the hemp string, down to the metal key, and when Ben touched it, ha, he got a shock. He had just proved that lightning was electrical and a lightning rod would work. And they sure did. In fact, to this day, lightning rods keep people safe all over the world. Ben Franklin had many more inventions and achievements in his lifetime. He was a lot of things. He was a politician and a writer, a founding father and a nighttime kite flyer. But most of all, Ben was a person who tried to fix problems. He experimented and created in order to make the world around him a better place. In other words, Ben Franklin was an inventor. Oh, hi there! Welcome back to Pflugerville! It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, beaming into your ears all the way from Lucy Wow's barn. You know, being Lucy Wow's sidekick is a lot of fun, but it's also a lot of work. Every day is a new adventure. Luckily, I've mastered the art of the power nap, which means I still have time for projects of my own, like... <laughs> was I? Oh, right! My special side project! This podcast dedicated to my favorite subject, invention! Why is invention my favorite subject? Well, because I am an invention! That's right! Lucy Wow invented me in order to add a little kapow to her wow! But enough about me! Let's take a look at today's inventor, Maria Beasley! 
Maria was a very special inventor because she didn't just use her genius to change lives, she used it to save lives, which makes her what my friend Guy Neville would call a superhero of invention. Or in Guy's terms, a superhero of invention. <laughs> Don't tell him I did that. Maria was born in 1847 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Her father was a miller, which is a person who grinds grain into flour. After school, Maria often assisted him at the mill and loved seeing how all of the machines worked. In 1865, Maria married a man named Samuel, and soon she was living a quiet life with him and working as a dressmaker. Then, in 1876, Maria attended the World's Fair, and everything changed. You see, America was founded 100 years earlier in 1776, and this was the first World's Fair the country had ever hosted. They chose Philadelphia because it was the location of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. But for Maria, it was more than just a celebration. It was a revelation! As she walked through the fair, she got to see the newest technology of the time, including Alexander Graham Bell's telephone, the Corlice steam engine, the first automatic screw-making machine, and a brand new sauce called Heinz tomato ketchup. Screws and ketchup? Yum! As cool and delicious as this all was, most important to Maria was the women's pavilion. Back in the 1800s, women weren't treated with the respect they deserved. And because of this, they weren't allowed to show off their inventions in the main area of the fair. So rather than be ignored, the ladies of the world teamed up and created an open building called a pavilion, where all the exhibits showcased were the work of women. One of the most popular attractions at the whole fair was a woman who operated a steam engine that powered several other exhibits, among them a printing press. To see women being celebrated as individuals and creators was completely revolutionary and completely inspiring to Mary. Seeing this, she felt encouraged to start a new career as an engineer and inventor. Wow! And like that steam engine, once she got going, there was no stopping her. Maria's first invention was a barrel hooping machine. Now, hooping a barrel is when you wrap metal around the barrel's wooden boards so that they're airtight and able to hold liquid without leaking. Maria's machine allowed for an increase in the speed and efficiency of making barrels. And soon, thanks to her, barrel production increased nationwide. But Maria was just getting started. She continued to improve on the barrel making process and soon her innovations attracted investors from sugar and oil refineries who paid her a salary of approximately $20,000 a year, which was a lot of money at that time. I mean, you could buy a house for $500 back then. Oh. In 1880, Beasley left barrels behind and came up with a new invention, and this one turned out to be her most important idea ever. She designed a new and improved life raft. Up until then, life rafts had been flat wooden boards and were unable to fold in half, making storage difficult. Plus, they caught on fire easily. Well, Maria's life raft included metal floats and was much more flexible. But even more important than improving the existing hardware, she added guardrails. This new feature may seem simple, 
but it was revolutionary and would go on to save hundreds of lives. Her new design also guaranteed that the raft would be airtight to protect any food or goods it was storing, and that lowering the boat into the water would be easy and harmless. Oh, one last thing. Her raft was fireproof. Beasley's life raft was used on the Titanic on its fateful voyage in April 1912. Although there were not enough lifeboats on board to save the 2,000 plus passengers, the 20 lifeboats that the ship did have saved the lives of 706 people. Wow! Maria went on inventing, and by the end of her career, Maria had created diverse items, such as a foot warmer, baking and roasting pans, and a steam engine. Maria was a dressmaker who became an inventor, who became a hero. But none of that would have happened if she hadn't been inspired by the Women of the World Fair in 1876. We all need a little inspiration from time to time. We need to be reminded that, like Maria, one person, regardless of gender, color, religion, nationality, how much money they have, or who they love, is able to change the world. Hello, one and all. It's me, Kapow, the mechanical pygmy goat, coming to you live from Lucy Wells' barn in Pflugerville. Now, you may know me best as Lucy Wells' sidekick, but I'm also an expert at video games. In fact, I just finished Animal Crossing a few minutes ago. I finished every single bite. Yum! The secret is to add mustard. Ha! I'm also the host of this podcast, dedicated to my favorite subject, invention. But I don't just like inventions. I was invented. That's right. Every inch of me from my body made of tools to my butt that plays music like a boombox was invented and built by Lucy Wow. Now, when Lucy Wow invented me, she probably never expected that I'd eat her video games. But that's one of the most amazing things about inventing. You never know how your creation might impact the world. Like today's inventor. Ruth Handler. When Ruth invented a new kind of doll, she believed it would be successful, but she never could have dreamed that Barbie would become a social media influencer. I mean, they didn't even have social media back then. So let's take a look at how Ruth turned 11 inches of plastic into an Instagramming icon for the ages. Ruth Masco was born the daughter of Russian immigrants in Denver, Colorado in 1916. She married her high school boyfriend, Elliot Handler, and together they moved to Los Angeles. Elliot loved to make things, so rather than buy the furniture for their new home, he decided to build it himself using two brand new types of plastic, lucite and plexiglass. These new kinds of plastic were strong, easy to work with, affordable, and super cool. In fact, Elliot's furniture came out looking so cool that Ruth decided they should go into the furniture making business together. He would build the furniture and she would sell it. The handlers started their own company with a man named Harold Matson. The three of them decided to combine their last names, Matson and Handler, and name the company Mattel. With Elliot's talent for building and Ruth's sale expertise, Mattel quickly became successful. But when a plastic ukulele fad started sweeping the nation, Ruth was inspired to risk all of that success on a new idea. Plastic instruments for kids. They started with ukes, 
then moved to toy pianos. And from pianos, they moved into music boxes. It was these music boxes that proved that Ruth had made the right choice. They were a huge hit! And Mattel ended up selling over 20 million of them. Wow! Under Ruth's leadership, Mattel had found its specialty, toys. But Ruth was just getting started. In the early days of TV, Commercials were always made for adults. Even the toy commercials were aimed at parents instead of the children. But Ruth thought that kids could choose their own stuff. So in 1955, Ruth created the first toy commercial for kids. And my goat didn't work. After seeing it, thousands of children asked their parents for a new Mattel toy. Thanks to Ruth and her invention of commercials for kids, Mattel had become one of the biggest toy makers in the country. Oh. After all this success, the handlers needed a vacation. So they took their two kids, Barbara and Ken, on a trip to Europe. While on this trip, Ruth saw a doll that looked like an adult woman, and she was inspired. You see, in the 1950s, society told girls they were supposed to grow up, stay home, and be moms. Because of this, the dolls made for girls were always babies, so that the little girls could practice playing mom. But Ruth thought that girls could be all sorts of things. I mean, after all, Ruth herself was a mom and a businesswoman and an inventor. A female business owner like Ruth may have been rare in the 50s, but she knew that the young girls she saw all around her would grow up to do all sorts of amazing things. And she thought they should have a doll to inspire them. So as soon as Ruth was back in the United States, she started working with one of Mattel's designers, Jack Ryan, to make a new kind of doll for the next generation of girls. Ruth had never designed a doll before, and Jack was famous for building missiles and planes for the military. But together, they succeeded in creating a doll like no one had ever seen before. And they named it after Ruth's daughter, Barbie. Barbie stood at 11 inches tall and was dressed for a pool party in a black and white striped one-piece swimsuit. Ruth wanted Barbie to be more than just a doll, though. She invented a biography for her. Barbie Millicent Roberts was from Willows, Wisconsin, and she worked as a teenage fashion model. Ruth thought that the Barbie doll was brilliant, but when she presented Barbie to the heads of major advertising agencies and store brands, they all thought Ruth was crazy and doomed to fail. None of them could believe that girls would want to play with a doll that didn't wear a diaper. But my goatness, were they wrong. In 1959, Mattel released Barbie to the public, and by the end of the year, over 300,000 models had flown off the shelves. Ooh. Barbie was a hit. Soon, she was everywhere and doing everything, from living in a dream house to driving in a dream car with her boyfriend, Ken, named after Ruth's son. And while Barbie started out as a fashion model, she wasn't satisfied with having only one job. Just like Ruth, she wanted to try different things. Barbie became a doctor and a CEO and a firefighter and a jet pilot. From astronaut to NASCAR driver, from an American Idol winner to a presidential candidate, Barbie has gone on to have over 200 different careers. Ruth Handler was born during a time when girls weren't supposed to dream big, but Ruth went ahead and did it anyway. Whether it was making commercials or designing dolls, she literally broke the mold. Which is why when Ruth invented Barbie, she didn't only invent a toy for kids to play with, she invented a toy who had endless possibilities, just like the kids who play with it. After all, if Ruth could do it, and if Barbie can do it, you can too.
Well, folks, we've come to the end of another Kapow's Power of Invention podcast. Come back tomorrow when I'll be covering more inventors and inventions. And while you're waiting, you do realize there are just a slew of shows that take place in Pflugerville, right? It's true! There's Bobby Wonder, who's trying to protect Pflugerville from Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn, inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat Kapow. Hey, that's me! Lucy goes big, and then she goes bigger! Oh, and if you like strange and spooky stories, you should check out R.L. Stein's Story Club. That's a real winner! I'm in the club, so I get to hear all the stories. And you can too! Keep on the lights, folks! Just search for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, or R.L. Stein Story Club, wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find your way. And don't forget, Friday's Listener Mailbag. If you've got a question about the world of Go Kid Go shows, Pflugerville, or Lil Old Me, send it to kapow at gokidgo.com. You might get your question read live on the show. It's very exciting. Have yourself an inventive day. Make something, build something, go big, and then go bigger. Until next time, this is Kapow signing off. Go Kid Go! Go Kid Go! 